Amen. Don't you guys love that little choir we had? Great job, young ladies. It was fun. Well, good to see you all here this morning and uh, excited to be continuing in our series working through the book of Titus. And uh, one of the things I enjoy doing kind of on the side and, and maybe you have this habit and routine in your life is listening to a lot of different sermons from different uh, speakers out there. And I think that's a wonderful habit if you don't already have that going on in your life to find a few. And even an encouragement uh, for those of you that are, we mentioned traveling. If you are traveling this summer, there's a good way to stay in touch with us as a church community. We have each week we have the different sermons online, so a chance for you to listen to that. Uh, but one of the things I heard recently, one pastor was talking about was the love that our culture, that we ourselves have with before and after photos, before and after photos, whether it's whether it's an extreme home makeover, we love that idea. When they pull the truck back, you see the house, and you're like, woo, they did it. Or it's a bathroom that's been redone. We get excited about little things, right? Or, or one of my personal favorites is some of the diet and fitness stuff. Somebody that, like, uh, I, I love the picture, the before picture, the kind of the, the gut sticking out, the face is all depressed and lonely, and then afterwards, it's like Captain America. You know what I mean? Like, everything's been fixed by this new, uh, th- this new diet or exercise program. In fact, I was thinking about that this week. I was a part of a church where I was on staff, and uh, one of the elders entered this. Uh, so John, the, the bar is high here. Uh, one of the, the elders entered this uh, nationwide abs contest through Men's Health magazine, and he won the whole thing. He won the whole thing. He won a Mustang GT for having like the most ripped abs. I was like, that's right. Elders representing. And, uh, and, and so uh, one of the things... I was thinking about in context to uh, this, this morning in our text is really how similar that idea, our, our love and, and passion for the idea of something before and after, something going from here and, and being transformed to be here is the same attraction that we have the potential to provide in the world around us. And the before and after that we offer as a follower of Christ is somebody that was a life that looked like this compared to a life that's intersected with Almighty God, Jesus Christ, what does that transformed life look like? What does that before and after photo look like? It can be a very compelling, we saw a few weeks ago in Titus, the idea of adorning or decorating the gospel. We adorn our doctrine with the way that we live, the way that we act. In this series, we've been talking about that, how that's a life uncommon. It's living different than the norm. So this morning, we're going to be unpacking, because this is more, a lot more at stake, as you know, a lot more at stake than, than just good abs or, or a bathroom being redone. This is the potential to invade a world that so desperately needs to see what a life looks like that's been transformed by Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we just invite you now to teach us, to stretch us, to expose yourself to us, that we understand you in a deeper way coming out of this text in the invitation that you've called us to, a life uncommon, and that there is an expectation that, that we don't remain the same. God, I personally thank you for that. I thank you that I'm not the person that I was five years ago, definitely not 10 years ago. I thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of us here if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd speak to us now from this text. We're dependent on you. We invite your spirit now uh, to, to be here, to be present and active, even as we open your word. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
If you want to turn with me, we're in uh, Titus 3, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home with you. And so uh, but it's a lot more helpful if we're all looking at the same thing as we talk through this text. The so verse 1, we're going to see as we're talking about this topic of before and after, a question that I think pervades, I think, the, the mind of every believer, how the new me exists in the old world. Take a look, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be, be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect cor- courtesy toward all people. Let's pause there. The first thing that you see this being one of the toughest questions in the life of a believer is how do you follow a new king but still exist in the old kingdom? Do you see what I'm saying there? How do you, how do you live in this, this body of flesh? How do you exist in this, this culture, in this world where we're trying to follow something that's going the opposite direction from the norm? How do you do that? How do you pull that off? Well, I think there's some clues here even in our text, the, some of the things, and I think it's interesting that the message that he's speaking here now isn't something that sinks in so quickly. Why, does he, why do I say that? Look at the first word, remind them, remind them. How much of church world and what you hear on Sunday mornings are exactly that, a reminder of maybe something you've heard for years, but maybe been a little bit slow in applying it. And so maybe this context here is exactly that. He's asking them to remind them. And what is he asking uh, Titus to remind the audience of? To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. That's an that's a interesting statement there if you think about it. A lot of us get confused about what we're called to in the life of a believer. When you were chose to follow Jesus Christ, when you made that decision to bend your knee and embrace him as your Lord and Savior, when you chose to start to emulate his actions and live like he did, There's some confusion about that because when you chose to follow him, you didn't sign up for a revolt against the culture. You didn't sign up for a revolt against the the culture. That's an important thing for us to understand in the life of a believer because a lot of times we get confused by that. If you look at Jesus when he was here, what was the one thing that they wanted him to do? They wanted him to come and, and oppose the, the Roman Empire, to set them free, to, to, to set up his kingdom, but he didn't do it either, and he doesn't call us to do it either. He doesn't, he doesn't call us to try to, to try to actually revolt against the culture. What does he want us to do to the same thing that he did, the same thing that he did? He focused on the internal, not the external. He wasn't trying to modify people's behavior. He was focused on the individual and the internal. And don't be confused about our calling. We're called to do the same thing. But if we're not careful, we can get consumed with this idea of of fixing social behavior to conform to biblical standards in the world around us. A lot of us, if we're not careful, that leads to what? An us versus them mentality to the world around us. And that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous place to be. That's why, that's why he's pointing this out to, uh, to Titus. He's saying, hey, as a, as a young ruler, make sure that you're really clear to them that they're not trying to oppose the culture. They're trying to win the culture. Titus's mission wasn't to make Cretans less offensive or to make it a better or Crete making Crete a better place to raise your kids. Like, that's not what it was about. 
That's not what he was calling him to. He's saying, listen, the transformation of the culture, the only program that works is preaching the transforming work of Jesus Christ in the life of an individual. Does that make sense? So many of us have, have chosen to war against our culture. And granted, I, I get it. Like there's things that break my heart about the culture and like the good old days and how it used to be and, and, and all the decline that we're seeing. That should break our hearts. And there are appropriate ways to stand up for that. But the important thing to understand here is that that's not our primary calling. We're called to preach the transforming power of salvation offered through Jesus Christ and live lives that give clear evidence of that power. Does that make sense? We're called to, to proclaim Christ and then live a way that adorns that, to, that reflects that calling, that reflects that, that, that invitation. And so here it says, it goes into the expectations that the rulers and authorities to be submissive to them. Rulers and authorities in that context speaks to all different love, levels of secular government. That's what it's talking about. And so for us, a lot of us are like, yeah, but you don't understand the authorities that are in place now. Like, it's brutal. Like, I, this person and this person. And like, how do you submit to that? Let me just remind you of the audience that Paul was speaking to. Who, this was under the Roman Empire. Nero was leading that. Nero was known. You know what Nero was known for? How he celebrated how his house parties looked? His house parties, he was known for lighting them providing light for his house parties with burning Christians. Seriously? That, but, but what's Jesus doing? How countercultural? That's what I love about Jesus. Like, if you're looking for someone radical to follow, he's saying, yeah, just don't, don't worry about that. Submit, submit to the authority that's in place over you. What in the world? What do you, what do, you do with that charge? What do you, what is, I imagine the, the audience is reading this and being like, what do you mean submit to rulers, rulers and authorities? Let's be clear there. We talked about it a few weeks ago that submission doesn't mean to do things that oppose what you believe. That doesn't mean like, okay, they say to do this. There's times to stand for directly for something that opposes God's word. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's, that's clear and obvious. But here, what he's describing is critical for us to understand. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 gives a little bit further explanation. I think that's helpful in this, in our role with the government. Says, says this, it's on your screen up there. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is the important piece. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we, we as Christ followers, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people, this is the desired outcome, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What we have to understand is that the world isn't wondering whether or not Christ followers agree or disagree with some of their actions. Not that we, we've done a good job of, of making that clear in the world around us. But what they do wonder is, do we care about them? Do we care about them? Do we love them? Or is it us versus them? So he describes this idea of, uh, and there are, don't get me wrong, there's appropriate stands to take. We're in a, in a different setting of, of government now where there is free speech and there's appropriate times to, to stand. There's tons of things that I think it's appropriate for us to speak. But look at the, the, the parameters that he puts around this. He says to be obedient, ready for every good work. 
obedient, ready for every good work. You see, a life of obedience, and you can jot this in your notes, a life of obedience positions ourselves for good works. A life of obedience positions ourselves for good works. I grew up in a, in a basketball-loving family. I don't know if any of you grew up in a, a, a sports family, but my dad pl- played college basketball, loved playing sports with me all growing up, and he was very clear about how important it was to position yourself, one, for rebounds. You can go into a number of different ways, but position yourself for the right shot. Important to have your, your shoulders squared up with the hoop, the elbows in, the, the knees bent, ready to, to, to go. And, and, and he, we just we went over this time and time again in our backyard. I don't know if you guys had some backyard battles with your sons or with your fathers, but, but this was a part of our life. But he constantly reminded me that the way that we position ourselves is critical. And if we're thinking through this in a spiritual term, what is he saying that in this context? He's saying a life of obedience. When we're obedient to the rulers and authorities over us, that positions ourselves for good works. That allows us, it's, it's that we're ready for like, listen, we're above reproach. We don't have any condemnation. We don't have anything that somebody can speak down of about us because we've positioned ourselves for good works. He expounds here in this next section of verse two just on, on what those look like. Take a look in verse two, what he says that looks like. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's our calling. That's the invitation of a believer. The first one, the speak negatively about nobody. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that as far as, 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 far, as far as critiquing people and criticizing those in authority? How are we doing on that? It says, hey, that's not supposed to be part of the life of a believer. It says to avoid quarreling. Man, is that hard. Anybody else struggle with that one? Especially when you feel like truth is on your side. You're like, but wait a second, I'm backed by this. And you're like, oh, but what does he say? Avoid it. Avoid quarreling. We're reminded also in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There's a lot of bait there. There's a lot of hooks out there just begging and pleading for us to engage and start the, get, get in the fight. But he's saying avoid quarreling. Be gentle. The idea of gentle is opposite of harsh or abrasive. A lot of us kind of blame that on our, on our, uh, cult, on our culture, our background. You're like, but you don't understand. I'm Italian, you know? Like that's, uh, we are abrasive. Like, but but what, is it, what, is it, what does it call us to here? It, it says like, no. We're all called to be gentle. 2 Timothy 2.24 that we studied this past year says this, And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, and this is an important part here, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Is that what we're known for? How are we doing with that? With the gentleness piece. Then he describes, even takes that further, with perfect courtesy. Perfect, perfect courtesy with the world around us. How are we doing with that? And it says not just just a few people. It says all people, every human being, to be respectful of people in their confusion about Christ. Does that make sense? To be respectful of people in the state of not really getting it. 
There's so many people. Like, if you think about it, though, the world and those around us, if they're apart from Christ, they're just, they're just living consistent with their belief system. The belief system, if it's absent of God, is what? It's, hey, I get one shot at this. I got my 70, 80 years. What? Well, it only makes sense that somebody's pursuing me and self and, and, and their personal fulfillment and, and, and trying to acquire as many things as possible and living for the moment. Like, that would only make sense. So it's not for us to condemn the condemned. Like, that's not our, our job. That's not our, our role. We're to allow the patience. That's why it says enduring, enduring the world that's confused in their lostness. If you thought, like, the only thing that you're left with is the, the kids that you leave to the next generation, why wouldn't you make little kids little, little mini-gods? That's what, our, what, what we see in the world around us. It only makes sense. Like they're just being, the world is consistent. We're all hopefully being consistent with our belief system. So this idea of, of submitting is an important, it's a critical key in the life of a believer. And then the, the thing that helps us do that, look at verse three, is that we never forget where we came from. Look at verse three. What allows us to submit to authority is we don't forget where we came from. For we ourselves... We're once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Quite, quite a description there. But that's, that's what he's saying. Look what he's saying. Don't forget you were once in that same place. You were once in that same place. And it's so critical in the life of somebody that's following Jesus Christ to not forget where they came from, Right? Not to forget where they'd be if not for the pursuing grace of God in their life. Where they'd be absent of God's leadership in their life. Don't forget, have to, we have to be able to identify with the world that we're surrounded with. I need to be able to raise my hand and say, listen, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would be there and maybe even worse. Does that make sense? If we have that mentality, all of a sudden that changes our perspective. The way that we see the world that we're surrounded with, that changes everything when we start to realize where we came from. That changes everything. So what's he saying there? He's saying, listen, you would, you would fulfill all of those things, but he, that's why he says we ourselves were once. We were once that way. And truth be told, this is another piece to, important to remember, we can head that direction pretty quickly if we're not living in the Spirit. It doesn't take long for us to head down that same road even when we are, and even when we have embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So don't forget where you came from and don't forget where you can go pretty quickly if we're not living in the Spirit. It continues on in verse 4, not just remembering where we came from, but also who rescued us. Verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life." This thing to remind us of the word he starts with, but, and that's typically what separates the good news from the bad news. He says, typically, typically before him, you were desperate, you were lost, but he says, but when the goodness and love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
It was him. It wasn't anything to do with us. It was fully dependent on his mercy, on him. We're in a, in a, in a world, I, I grew up in a, a suburb of Chicago. It's called Melrose Park. And it was, a, it was an all-Italian uh, community. And I joke about that season of life. As I, I'm like, yeah, that's back when I used to be Italian. And, uh, and, and so uh, an all-Italian neighborhood. And the way that that neighborhood kind of worked and kind of with some mafia influence there was a little bit of like, hey, you do something good for me. I'll do something good for you. You know what I'm saying? Like that, like, like something, one, one favor earns another favor. And that was the mentality that I was surrounded with. But how different is this saying is our God, our king that we're following? He's saying it had nothing to do with what you did for him. That's why, why it says in the text there, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Don't be confused. God didn't look down and say like, wow. He is really a good person. That's who I want to rescue and save. If anything, it was the, the exact opposite. Wow, is she a mess. I need to rescue her. That's what our God did. And that's what he's reminding us of here. He's saying, listen, this wasn't, a, this wasn't anything to do with a do great things, get great things arrangement. That was God and his mercy reaching down to us. And there's a lot of work that had to happen. Look at it. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly. Washing, like we were filthy. There was a lot of washing that had to happen. There's a lot of layers that had to be peeled off. That in order to, to redeem us, it says to uh, regeneration and renewal, that was necessary. So that, verse 7, so that being justified right just be, uh, before be, uh, right before a just god justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life that's awesome to think of a how often on a Sunday morning, I, I was even as I was looking at this, I'm like, man, Paul's like obsessed with the, the hope of eternal life. I'm like, all right, Paul, we get it. But like, like if we're honest, though, it should never get old. Every single one of our, our, our sections, I believe, that we've talked through has all had that conclusion saying, listen, it's the hope of eternal life. That's what we're clinging to. It's, it's not the here and now. We're Remember, we're following a king, but this isn't his kingdom. Let's be clear on that. The hope of that, we're heirs to a kingdom, to a future that's going to be completed. It should never get old in the life of a believer. So what do we do in the meantime? Look in verse 8. So stay focused on good works. Look at it. It says, the saying is trustworthy. You can put your hope in this. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Look at that. It insists on this. He's saying, listen, this type of word, this type of living, you have to trust me. He's saying it's trustworthy. I insist on this. You need to live like this. That's what you need to, don't get sidetracked. Stay on this focus. He says that in the text there in the second part of verse eight, so that those who have believed in God, that's anyone that's in this room that have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have it, man, don't leave today without that getting figured out. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
the last three sections of this, this, uh, this section of Titus, the last three sections, he's had three different descriptors. He said, being zealous about good works, ready for good works, and now devoted to good works. Do you think he's trying to get an emphasis in there with us, what our life's supposed to be about? Listen, you're not fighting the culture. You're looking to serve and love the culture in which we've been placed. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, listen, you don't have to fight the fight. You're submitting to authority, but then you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be pursuing, careful. The word devoted means like this is a, a it, we're consumed by it. Or we're consistently pursuing the idea of good works. We had a, a fun assignment, if you remember, for those of you that were here this last uh, Sunday, I made the challenge of shooting me a quick email if there is an opportunity, because we talked last week about being zealous for good works, if you're new here, uh, being zealous for good works. And I said, hey, shoot me a quick email when you have the opportunity to actually live that out. And so I kind of put that out there and I was like, man, I don't know what kind of response I'm going to get if I, I might get one email that trickled in. And so on Tuesday, I sent a reminder and it was so encouraging. Let me just tell you, like, you were super encouraging to me as a pastor that, wait a second, maybe they're actually listening on Sunday morning. It's a fantastic idea. And so I was just, my, my email was just covered with tons of examples. And I love this idea because we're, we're living out Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This idea, it's the, in the life of, of believers. We're supposed to be spurring each other on. And so instead of me coming up with a list of good worked ideas, I wanted to share, is it okay if I share a few from the list this week? Uh, is that okay? Okay, there we go. You are listening. Okay, so a few different ones. I thought it was, it was fun to see some things played out in our community. There was someone that bought a meal for someone that was struggling. I thought that was cool. A dog was rescued. Nice, very encouraging. There was someone made a surprise homemade meal, which even bumps it a whole nother level in my mind for someone. A note, I like this one, a note written to adult brother to say how much he means to him. I thought that was cool. Note to encourage somebody. Taking a homeless man out to dinner. I thought that was cool. Somebody in our community got together, took a, took a homeless person, heard their story, took him out. Taking, uh, or I'm sorry, returning shoe dropped out of a stroller. You know, it's, it's the little things. Uh, you ever walk behind somebody and you're like, oh, they're just dropping things as fast as they can pick them up. Um, Helping with the children's hunger fund, a, a handmade game made for kids, taking the neighbor's trash out to the curb. It's not always the big stuff. It's little things. Vol volunteer work on the church campus. We're grateful for that. Uh, here, how about this one? Letting someone cut in line at Costco. <laughs> that, that's a new level of spiritual maturity. <laughs> if you've been in a Costco line, that's, uh, we're, we're getting somewhere there. We're making some strides. Encouragement, notes written to people needing it. Uh, uh, an older woman in our church said she took some time to write some notes to people that thought could use some encouragement. Hosting a block par party to befriend neighbors. Personal invite to an unconnected person in the church. Provided needing transportation for an elderly person. Uh, this was neat. Giving a, a ride to a struggling kid at a gas station. A kid that comes up, I'm stuck here, I can't get there. Somebody gave him a ride to where he needed to get. I thought that was awesome. Helping with, helping with, for you businessmen traveling, helping with luggage and overhead bin. That's another, that's almost as good as Costco. And uh, actually choosing, and then they furthered that by choosing to engage with a person sitting next to him on the plane. Very controversial. I like that. <laughs> Cleaning up trash in the neighborhood. 
engaging intentionally with a, a struggling neighbor, another line-cutting example, uh, taking care of a friend in a hospital, but keeping him company and providing food. Uh, the, the, the list goes on. A couple more to share. Uh, I thought this was a big one when you wonder sometimes what's the scope of our reach within the church. Comforting friend that lost sister in Santa Barbara shooting last week. Huh. How about that? Dark times of being a comfort during difficult seasons. Choosing, I, I, I thought this was another one that we could learn from, choosing to humbly admit when wrong in an argument with their spouse. It's like, wow, that's, men, tuck that away. Uh, helping babysit a friend's kids for free. Trust me, parents appreciate that. Uh, someone asking for money for gas and the choice to fill up their whole tank instead of just giving them a few bucks. Spending time encouraging someone recently diagnosed with cancer, someone that, someone that works at a grocery store, delivering food to someone who is un, unable to come to the store, buying dinner for a friend that didn't have the money, lent sweater to a friend that was cold. The list can go on and on, and I love seeing glimpses of this, and that's it, in just one week of some intentionality. What happens when we actually say to ourselves, like, what if my life was devoted to this? What if my life was devoted to the, the adventures, the roads that God could take us on? And I, I was talking to one person, I was challenging them. I said, here's the next step. So here's our next step in assignment. Not that you all have to email me every week, but the next step is figuring out how to attach the name of Jesus Christ to the deed or the act that you're living out. That's, that, that's taking the next step further of what it, maybe you have like a, a set statement that you say like, hey, that wasn't me. That was me just trying to, to live out Je what Jesus has done for me. I'm, I'm just trying to follow his example or, uh, oh, oh, trust me, God's been more than kind to me. I'm just trying to pass it on. Like figuring out what your, your means is to deflect praise to me and redirect praise to God. Does that make sense? So that's a next challenge and push that we can be thinking through to have a few tucked away statements in your mind that you're thinking like, yeah, that's, that's a good way to redirect that. That's a good way to, to point the glory to him. Because remember, we're adorning our doctrine. We're, we're, we're dressing it up. We're, we're, we're putting makeup on it. We're, we're making it attractive to the world around us. So the truth is, I was trying to think about this and saying like, yes, this is hopefully something that just comes natural to us and when we're, when we're following Christ. And you could make a case for that, but the more I've thought about it this week, I'm like, you know what? Some of these acts, these, these good deeds, do take a level of devotion because if we're honest with ourselves, they're not really natural. The natural thing, what comes natural, is for me to slip back into the, it's all about me to slip into some of the things that, that those around us struggle with. Like, I don't feel like doing it. That's, a, that's inconvenient. But what I loved is hearing from one person that said, you know what I've realized is the more I do this, the more it starts to become natural. It starts to come out of who I am. It just becomes, to, becomes a, a way of life. And I think that's what comes from being devoted to good works. So my question is, how are we doing on that? I'll tell you what, the, the before and after photo, when somebody's looking at our lives, when, when they're seeing us and they're like, man, he's just an average, ordinary guy, but man, 
He's doing some amazing things. They're just little and subtle maybe a lot of times, but God's done a transformation. That's the story that people are drawn to. The average Joe, that God does something crazy transforming them. That's why we love Jared, right? That's why we love Subway. You know, you're like, man, look at, look at Jared's life, man. He was just the average Joe and he started eating these Subway sandwiches. And wow, like I need a foot long. Like that's like, there, there's something that draws us to something authentic that's happened in somebody's life. Something real that it's not a, pay, it's not a paid advertisement. It's not a paid professional at the bottom in the, in the fine print. This is somebody that's actually been transformed. And that's my prayer and hope for us as a church is that we'd start to be, as we take little steps towards this, start to be transformed and it becomes our before and after photo. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I thank you for this text and just the reminder. And as I think about this, man, it all, it all makes sense that when, when we're not opposing the culture, when we're not with a mentality of us versus them, when we're strictly looking to submit to authority, to be obedient, to not, to not uh, bicker and argue, to not get caught up in slander, when we're, when we're consistently reminded of where we've come from, I'll tell you what, that changes our perspective drastically. All of a sudden, the, the good works aren't, aren't quite so hard to do when we're not living on a self-righteous pedestal above the culture we live in. God, I pray that you'd transform us, that you'd change us, that we'd adopt these characteristics of you. That list that I read of things we're doing in the community this last week sounds like a, a list of things you would be doing in the community this last week. I pray that you'd shape us, you'd mold us into your likeness. We're so dependent on you for that, God. Thank you for your patience with us as we try to get this stuff figured out. We love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.